everyone. Welcome to episode 126 of the Fitness Double Podcast. Today's guest is my buddy, Andy McCloy. He's a strength coach based out of Alabama. So you're going to get a whole bunch of his thoughts and wisdom, including uh, going back to his journey through a hip replacement surgery and how this changes perspective on an unsustainable pace and, and led to a lot of career success. We talk a lot about how important it is to learn sales and marketing and other skills for uh, business professionals, especially strength coaches. We also get into allowing yourself to have an open mind and adapt your belief systems over time, not being stuck in rigid thinking. And also how he starts with prioritizing his family first now and then fits work in. Enjoy. Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fitness Devil Podcast. So I've said this a few times before, and a lot of our guests have actually come from my travels, but one of the best part about you know my time in the industry has been the travel and the opportunity to meet and connect with a lot of really great hardworking examples of sustained industry success and people are having impact. And yeah, we've had people with many hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, but sometimes that impact isn't always felt in you know big brand name, uh, you know, success in that right, but they've had a lot of success influencing other people and helping people. So I met Andy McCloy back in 2017, September, at uh, Luca Hosvar's uh, Bigger Ground Fitness and Business Summit uh, in Renton, Washington. Now, Andy's the owner of, uh, he's down in Alabama, so he's the owner of Body Creation, Sports Performance, and Fitness, and you're also heavily involved in uh, a lot of mentorship with strength coaches in the industry. So. Um, like we talked about off air, you've been in my plans for quite a while to get on here. So we finally made it happen. So we're grateful to have you. Welcome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I respect a lot of what you do. And I, I know Dean probably better than he thinks I do. So uh, <laughs> I'll to talk to you guys. We were talking off air. And, uh, you know, again, like, you know, I've met Andy uh, like a long time ago. But you guys actually travel a lot of the same circles. Well, I already knew. It, it's crazy. Like, we say this all the time. But, like. I meet everyone on Instagram. I haven't met you, but I knew who you were. And it's it just, once you start kind of, we were talking before, connecting the dots between, I don't know, all the people we know, it's like, it's like we should have been friends. Like, what? Right. Just, I'm not from Alabama. That's right. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. This is this is an industry that is not six degrees of separation. It's more like two, you know? It's in, in a lot of cases, one. <laughs> like, right. It, it's um, like Andrew's talking. I don't know what's where Al, Andrew's getting water. But uh, when he went to that conference, it's like my, I don't want to say progression, but like if I didn't step outside of fucking Edmonton, Alberta and go to like a conference somewhere else and like drink beers with people, <laughs> I would know no one, which is like so fucked. No, I, listen, I tell everybody that the key to the amount of relationships I've been able to build were all about for like 10 years, just hitting the continuing education circuit yeah. everywhere, showing up at every event and then hanging out with people afterwards. Going out to eat, sharing drinks, like breaking bread together has been a thing to build bonds since the beginning of time. And uh, it has certainly been the most valuable thing that I have done is just show up at events, tell people I respect them and appreciate them, share a meal, share a drink, find common values, connect. Exactly the same experience I've had. We were talking off air about uh, when I met you, same event I met Justin Cavanaugh. And again, Dean, rather separately, down in that sports performance world, you know, gets to know Justin and they get real close. We've had Cav on the podcast and he's been a lot of fun. I can't count the number of examples where that's the same thing. And there's plenty of you guys that the two of us have actually encountered very separately. And then you bring them on the podcast and it, it's kind of perfect. Then um, everybody knows everybody basically. But it's like that, that process, I don't want to say it's skipped by a lot of people. I don't know if that's the scarcity mindset bullshit, but when people get kind of stuck in their corner, but they think they know everything. They actually aren't good at those types of events because they'll go there and sit in the corner and think they know everything. And then they miss an opportunity to like, I guess, branch out. And like, that's pretty much where all my best, I don't want to say break now, kind of breakthroughs have come through, not even just meeting people, but learning other systems, which yeah. is almost the same fucking thing. My, uh, I got a buddy named Steve and uh, we were talking here recently on the phone. He's in the industry and does a lot of continuing ed stuff. And, he was like, man, I remember you at about like 12 years ago at events. Like you would just kind of stand in the back of the room with your arms crossed. And so I was kind of the guy that didn't know how to integrate. Yeah. And if I, if I reflect back, I think that was centered around a lot of 
insecurity or uncertainty around like, where do I fit in this industry? And, um, but over time I realized like my superpowers networking and connecting, but I had to get to a place like where I really believed and valued in the worth that I have in our environment. And I think there's a lot of coaches that struggle with that. We look at a lot of the big names and we assume that we're not as valuable or impactful and that can make us shrink down to a smaller version of ourselves, which can keep us from really building awesome relationships. Well, I think a big thing for me, my realization is once you actually meet them, like let's we'll use this, these events, but like once you start meeting these quote unquote big names, you realize that they're not much different. No, they're not. You, and they pretty much the same path they took. And it was just five years earlier. Like it's, it's literally not that big of a deal. Yeah, we're all humans, man. Like humans. And we're all on a path. And a lot of the people we're talking about are the, you know, the super big names. So, uh, try to think of some of the people that were presenting at the event, like a Mark Fisher or, you know, Luca hosting it, you know, back in time a little bit on their story. And they're probably in the very same place that a lot of the rest of us are, or a lot of other people are, where they just hadn't yet had that breakthrough to where they're presenting. Fisher's is not that old. Like in terms of like, like the greater, like it's like what, five, six years. I think it's about maybe seven-ish or so. Which but isn't a long Mark, time. No, Mark has still been doing this for a really long time, but I think his ascent to notoriety actually happened a little quickly after a sustained period of maybe not being as well-known. Yeah. Mark's, Mark's especially. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. most of these people come from, I don't want to say humble beginnings, but they're, all, they're, all, they're all fucking trainers. Everybody comes from they're, humble beginnings. It don't matter who you are. They're, they're all fucking trainers at a gym somewhere, and then it shit pops off somewhere. And, like, and everybody's got their own obstacles or hurdles to overcome to make those connections. Like I've talked a lot with Mark and I got to present at his uh, business for unicorns mastermind a week ago. And one of the things I talked about was the things I've learned and stolen from Mark. And one of one of those was be yourself. Like Mark is very different than a lot of people in our industry. Um, Me and Mark are also very different, but like I went to three high schools. I was, I was a father by the time I was 16 years old. I didn't go to college. So for me, when I got into the industry, I didn't, I felt like I had to be somebody else too. Right. So that, that affected me. But I think at some point in time, we all come into our own. And when you come into your own, that's why I think when people start taking notice of who you are. Yeah. Instead of trying to copy the model of someone else, try to pretend to be someone else. Which is cool. Word I, think, I think we all copy shit. I don't, I don't know where it was for me, but at some point I realized like, if I keep copying people, I'm just going to be a shittier version of them. You know what I mean? And like that, that bugged me. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to be shit at something. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with modeling behaviors based on successful people. But when you're trying to be a clone of something, it's a different story. Yeah. I, I can only be the best me. I'm never going to be the next. Like Joe DeFranco was hugely impactful in my life when I first started my business. And like, I'm never going to be the next Joe DeFranco. Right. But, but I can be the best me. Yeah, and, and to me, that understanding has been very valuable. Yeah, you're not bald either. I don't think I'm not, but I'm, I might be getting there. My hairline is thinning slightly. So. Yeah, it's, it's better than like, he was bald. He's always bald. <laughs> like, ever since I, knew I liked about Joe. Like Joe was all mean and shit with his hands on the bar, looking all jacked. And I was like, to me, <clears throat> I started in the personal training world where you wore, you know, button up shirts and khaki pants and it had to be tucked in. So when I saw a guy like Joe and a wife beater with a bald head all jacked up, I was like, yo, that's more me. I'm not a dude with a button-up shirt, but I had to play that game uh, when I had my first job, which that didn't last long, and I was arrogant <laughs> enough to just start my own business thereafter. Well, cool. It worked out for you. One of the things I was going to ask you about was uh, just based on a recent Instagram post, but it goes back to 2012 where you got the news that you needed – hip replacement surgery, right? Both hips. And that was the result, I guess you said, of like 12 years of pedal to the metal work, pace, intensity. So how did this affect your approach to balancing your own self-care with the focus on career success? Uh, I actually, a side note, two buddies of mine were just at Evolve. Uh, one's a trainer there, one's a trainer at Evolve uh, downtown. They're both hurt. One guy tore up his meniscus, the other guy tore a bicep. And yet they still got a coach, right? So this stuff happens to us. So filter that through. And then let's actually extend this conversation to your thoughts on mental health for our industry as well. So floor is yours. Um, so I, back in 2012, I was in a lot of pain. And I was working 13, 14 hours a day. Um, 
And I just had this epiphany that that was unsustainable. I was broken um, physically. That was affecting me mentally. That was affecting every relationship that I had had in my life. Um, and I just realized it was an unsustainable thing. So it made me reflect on what do I really want? And what I wanted was to be healthy. I wanted to have some freedom. I didn't want to have to work 14 hours a day to make money. And I really wanted to pay the lessons forward that I learned in the industry. So I became confronted with the fact that I had to really build a business, not just own my job. And that was the only way out of it. But I couldn't just do that overnight. You know, it wasn't like I could go from 2012 to you know where we are today overnight. So I realized I just couldn't legitimize having hip surgeries at that time. I needed the money. I, um, I couldn't take the time off. <clears throat> so that, that rub right there was the thing that made me go, whoa, just because you look halfway decent doesn't mean you're healthy. Your capacity is not where it should be. The pain is affecting you in a multitude of ways. And you, you've got to start training smarter and developing a business that will one day allow you to step back and take care of yourself. So I think that is what it, the lesson that was learned for me through that process. And you want to talk about mental health, man, we could go on this subject for forever, but um, I was scared to death back then that if I were to take time off, I would lose my entire business. So it forced me to develop skills and, and a mindset that would allow me to sustain pain, build a model, learn how to lead a team, push all my chips in and make it happen. But I suffered through some really dark holes. And I think that's one of the things that I really like helping coaches and trainers with because like I've been there, like I've been down in those deep dark holes. Like how am I ever going to be able to leverage my time better? You know, how am I ever going to quit working this much in order to make this much money? And through me building my business, I mean, I fought for custody of my daughter twice. I was married and divorced one time. Um, I mean, I went through a lot of stuff, man. And uh, proved to me that I can endure, I'm capable, and I, it forced me to develop coping skills. It wasn't an option to do anything different in my mind. So just the awareness I had around what needed to happen forced me to become the type of person that could execute on that. And I think that's a big problem in our industry right now is we're all focused on techniques and tactics of how to do things. As opposed to like, what type of person do you need to become to actually leverage those things in a way that's congruent with your values and your goals? I like that. <clears throat> Aligns with, I like the part, especially about, you know, how it wasn't an option, you know, basically to fail. And I wrote something recently that hopefully it resonates where like trainers are really worried about their income, their stability, security, that sort of stuff. And for me, it just wasn't a fucking option not to be busy. It wasn't a fucking option not to keep my income. So therefore, you just did whatever was necessary. He worked the hours and we go back to that. Sure, that can get a bit aggressive with the number of hours we work. But I just simply wasn't willing to let my business ever falter along the way. So you just mentally, and when you tell yourself, no, nah, there is no option to not be successful. You absolutely find a way. I'm sorry. Well, money's a pretty big motivator. Like how much we're in Canada, so hip surgery is free. It just takes a while. Uh, how much is hip surgery in the States? Uh, I mean, I have insurance, so oh, it took did? care okay. of the majority of it. But I mean, I paid about six grand out of pocket uh, for the deductible because I just never go to the doctor or, and yeah. I never had in. So, I mean, it cost, me, it cost me a couple stacks either way. Um, hey, you don't get unemployment for not working at your own job. No. Nah. And, and, and I'll tell you this, though, like all the pre-work that we did and preparing my team for it, like we really didn't skip a beat. And it might have been one of the more empowering things for yeah. my team, for me just to get the hell out of here for a little while and and let them do their job. I mean, it was um, it, it was a tough but really valuable experience. I'm glad I'm on the other side of it. I learned a lot of lessons through that process. And um, well, that's you know, a good thing for, for mental health wise, like being able to I don't want to say that you're you're your work was successful without you, but that probably took a load off your mind too. Cause you don't really know what that's going to be like till you actually leave, which is tough. Yeah. I mean, luckily I had tested enough. Like 
traveling for speaking, you know, being gone a week or two here and there. And <clears throat> so I, I was pretty confident that, that we could sustain it. And like I said, leading up to my surgery, I mean, we, I scheduled it, I don't know, about six months out. Um, I came back from Slovenia with Luca and uh, walking around Slovenia and climbing up to castles and stuff was so brutal. The minute I got home, I just called the surgeon and said, book it. And from that day on, we reverse engineered a plan to make sure that it would be it would be smooth uh, while I was out. You know? You've got a great team. People were invested in, in the whole thing. It's their livelihood, too. If they fuck up and falter, it, you know, they're not just letting you down. They let themselves down. So I'm, I'm sure the fact that hey, Andy's going in for fucking hip surgery here, we better have our A game just to make sure that he's OK and that we're OK. Absolutely. Absolutely. How much um, you work with newer coaches, but like essentially the silver lining in all, all the bullshit is that you learn how to, I guess, overcome it and, and like be successful because of it. How much of that struggle do you think is necessary? Because like, I, I don't want to say all the new generation doesn't want to deal with that shit, but like a lot of people want to learn from those mistakes, but it's almost like some of those mistakes make the man, so to speak. Like, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Especially with a lot of new coaches coming in. If you can avoid falling on your face, that's a pretty good strategy, right? Like you don't want to make it harder than it <laughs> needs to be. Um, but I think if you expect to build a business without friction, uh, difficulty and adversity, you should just keep watching motivational videos and hoping for the best. Uh, but that has not been my experience or my reality. I think if you're really committed to, to making an impact in this industry, get ready for the pain because it's coming. But the, the meaning that you give to that, I think, is important. Right. So like for me, when we've gone through tough growth cycles and um, I've just kind of embraced that, just lean into that and accept it and just know that, you know, uh, uncertainty is a really hard thing to deal with. And you don't always know what outcomes are going to look like. But if you start creating systems um, and predictable strategies around those things, you, you have a better outcome. Yes. Yeah, so think logically, which. It's and like hard to do when you're in threat, right? Like, so it, it's yeah. hard to think logical when you're having trouble meeting payroll. It's hard to think logical when you're struggling to get clients and pay yeah. your bills. So sometimes, you know, logic, you can't rely on logic as much as we'd like, you know? That's a good point, though, because long story short is it's like, it, that seems like a simple answer. But like you said, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of trainers that are stressed out even paying the bills. But like, I guess at what point, do you make that transition? Cause I want to say like a lot of them don't even know that they're in the shit storm, like when they're in it, you know what I mean? So how, do you, how have you found snapping people out of that? Or like, I guess if you don't know you're struggling, how do you kind of start to realize, Hey, I need to start doing these things. Like what are some red flags, I guess, so to speak. It's hard. I mean, what I, I try to do is be a mirror for people, right? So I try to reflect back to them, the things that I see that could be limiting their potential uh, and ability as a whole. And I think that takes one deep empathy and like really caring for the people that you're working with. Uh, it takes courage to like tell them really hard shit. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of confronting it and doing it from a place of like, oh, man, like I really care. Like I want to see you win. Um, that That's what I found to be most effective. And, and I'm not so sure that really answers your question, but um, well, it does. that's what I took from it. Well, I think like I don't want to say modeling is the best way to do that, but I mean, like it, I guess with all these platforms that we have out podcasts and all this other shit is, is like essentially you're putting your best foot forward so that hopefully someone sees it and is like, Oh, I'm not doing that. Maybe I should. And then they kind of realize that. But I mean, I guess that's just content creation period. I guess just whatever means you, you want to delve into that. Okay, is I've been really bad at developing content. I'm not so sure. I mean, I have a couple hundred posts in like 10 years being on, you know, these social media platforms. Um, so I think content, is a part of it, but being willing to share your scars with other people, the things you've gone through and healed from, I think is a very powerful way to move people off their own mark. Yeah. Um, you know, you would hope people would just be able to kind of absorb the message through social media. But what I found like in person, if you can talk to somebody and share something a little bit more personal that you've struggled with, that they might connect with, it seems to open up the awareness channels and gives them a little bit more choice and agency on how they're going to fix that issue in their own life or business. Well, that's what, like we talked about with content and maybe I should have rephrased that, but like, um, content can be anything. 
And that's what I mean. Like you've chosen to like be in in-person speaking, doing all that shit. Like that is to me, that's content. And that's kind of cool because what gets projected a lot of times is that Instagram is the only way to fucking get your shit out. And that's why we bring on people like you because it's just like, yeah, there's a lot of people doing this shit without Instagram. They don't need to have fucking a hundred thousand followers. Like their, their message can go wherever the fuck. My thoughts and attitude towards Instagram was a couple of things. We were talking off air earlier. I won't say names, but you know, you see coaches who start saying, well, I'm not going to use Instagram. And then they encourage other people not to, but what's really going on is they're struggling with it. They're not doing very well with it. I think Instagram can be a good extension of the other things you're doing. I think if Instagram is your primary vehicle, that, that's a different community. That's different than the type of people who are in our world. Uh, I think that's a bad tactic because if Instagram goes away or you fuck up and your account gets banned, guess what? Everything's gone. If you're someone who's writing articles and, and maybe creating really good YouTube content, uh, developing relationships, networks, and an actual core business, and then through all of those things, there is a fundamental philosophy and substance to your message. Then you can take those things in snapshots and put it on your Instagram as an extension of everything. God forbid someone makes their Instagram their entire thing. So that's the mistake I think a lot of newer, younger trainers are making. Then again, I'm not going to begrudge someone who has to have a starting point and they're trying to build up clientele and trying to build up a message and they're using Instagram. Just, I'd say, branch out a little bit and, and create some enduring things. If you have something on your website that's timeless, it's searchable. This is like straight up Jordan Syed type philosophy where, you know, if your article ends up being one of the better articles on a topic, it might show up on the first page of Google. That Instagram post that you made six months ago, <clears throat> that had a shelf life of about a day if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. And then no one's going back to find that. And I, and I, I have a, I mean, I, and I totally agree with everything you said, um, but, uh, I have a slightly different perspective only because I don't consider myself a very good writer. I don't like doing social media. It's exhausting for me from a, from a mental health standpoint. Um, I, I think a lot of people have this game really mixed up and it's easy for me to say this cause I came up in a time where social media wasn't a thing, yeah. but um, I think people are way too focused on building a following and creating these uh, perfectly manicured mm -hmm. Instagram channels as opposed to just like, let's try this become really good at what you do and show up and do the job in real life for a long time and then share that with people. The thing, and I'll tell you, Luca is one of the guys that pushed me to get into coaching and mentoring. And he, and one of the things that will always stick out to me that he said, he's like, you've already done all the hard work. Mm -hmm. Like you've already got a pedigree. And I mean, you, I've got, Enough social proof for this is know, ever, his camera on his wall. Oh, a lot of pictures of athletes on his wall. Right. So it's like we, I didn't know if this is being filmed or not, but I mean, <laughs> when you've done the work, the message that you put out into social media becomes more powerful because I think the consumer is becoming more aware of people that are better at creating an image than really being good at what they do. You know, so I, I think, and again, this is back to this whole like tactic thing like i could tell you a bunch of tactics that i've never used on instagram to grow your instagram channel like like <laughs> i know a lot about it i know all this really smart dudes in that space but i have not built my business that way i built my business by figuring out what don't i know now go learn that yeah. now do that now get better at that rinse wash and repeat and that is not a very sexy selling point I can't sell that in a 90 day program and say, you're going to make $50,000 EFT every month. Like I just, but to me, if you look at all the people that are successful, that's actually what they did. Go back and look at Luca's background. Look at Eric Cressy's background. Look at Mike Robertson's back. Look at any, anybody who you respect in this industry. And with a few exceptions, because there are some anomalies out there, they put in tons of work before social media ever even became a part of their playbook. You know, so I think we, there's still some value in reflecting back on the things that have stood the test of time and not just feeling like you need to hack Instagram to develop a relationship and a following. Well, that's why we, we brought you on. We have a few people that are that exact same message. We spend a lot of time making fun of Instagram. Um, and like, obviously there's value in it, but it, we don't feel like it's good to promote that without bringing on people like you who've actually done it and done these things. It's like when we have Tony Gentlecore on and all this stuff, like not that they're the old guard, but like 
that has stood the test of time and they've converted shit on Instagram. And I think a lot of people see what's on Instagram and, and just want to go right to that. It's like, you just, you missed the whole fucking boat. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's a lot more fun to do photo shoots and yeah, yeah. like, that's a lot more fun than actually, you know, working. And I, mean, I can barely make myself, I'm promoting an event, right? I got a lot of attack, like attachments and I can barely make myself post once a day. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just, um, it's a tough thing. I, my number one priority is my family. My number two priority is running my business. Those things come before me actually making social media posts. Um, it is what it is. And, I, and I'm not saying anybody should do it my way. There are a lot of dudes who know the Instagram game. And um, they're, and then they're also doing really good work on the other side of the, the computer and, and, and phone, right? So don't just do what I'm saying. I'm just sharing what's actually worked in my experience. I think what we're all agreeing the underlying message because we all see it the same way is you've got to do the work develop the skill the core competencies implement it in the real world first and then uh, you know my belief is because i'm not an instagram star but i am playing with it lately you can then take that take the ideas the stuff that you you've got in your core business and then you can use it and share it and you know if it's someone like you who you find mentally taxing is probably not a good idea but you've already had a lot of success in other realms you don't need it if you're going to be really smart about it and want to leverage it, great. But do not use it as your your core thing. Yeah, like double double down on your strengths. Like if I could write like you, I would probably have a blog. Like you're a very good writer. Like I love reading your stuff. Like that to me is uh, like so for you, words on things, whether that's a blog or an Instagram post, <laughs> are going to be very persuasive. To me, it takes a very long time for me to knock out 100 characters. I'm like, did I say that right? Did I spell that right? Do I got my spacing right? And that just smokes me. But, but if I have a live event and we meet each other and I get to convey my passion and just who I, I believe you need to become in order to be successful in this industry, to me, that's the best way I can influence and persuade somebody. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make social media posts or Maybe well, I don't write a blog, but maybe one day I will. It doesn't mean that those tactics are worthless. It just shouldn't be the cornerstone of how I show up. Basically, just the way that you said. Well, I think that answers my question. <laughs> like, like for for real, it's like it's like well, how do how do you how do you realize like the things that the red flag is like? Well, like if you don't like doing it, like not that you shouldn't do it, but like like you said, double down on the shit. Like that's why we, I do podcasts and I don't write. I fucking hate writing. Like I've yeah. had been asked, I'm like, no. I'm like, I'll just like, I ghost them. <laughs> and one yeah, thing I realized is I, I love this medium of podcast. So it's yeah. got me thinking like, okay, you know, there's a lot of options and things I could do. I'm like, I like this. I think I could be good at this. So if you're the type of person that thinks you could be good at a podcast, start a podcast. If you're a great writer, write. If you're really good at photo shoots and Instagram and you know how to use Canva and you've got a body of work that you want to put together, man, Double down on Instagram. Like it works for a lot of people. You know, you can tell. Like, don't like, beat yourself up. Like what I've done at times, like I'll make a post and I have this like attachment to how many likes it's supposed to get or whatever. And I'm like, oh, wow, that sucked. It's not it's not that it sucked. Right. It's just information. It's data. That's it. So if, if you are trying to do something like Instagram or Facebook, don't be attached to doing it as well as other people. Just do the thing. Right. Like, just, just do it. It was like. <laughs> I trolled, I, trolled, I trolled Spencer Nadolski last night on Instagram. Form okay, your thought. Get the sorry, laugh out of the way. Spencer, Spencer Nadolski posted like some TikTok video on his Instagram. It was so bad. He's like, yeah, I'm just toying around with it. I'm like, man, your timing's so off. Like, I saw that. And he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't go to TikTok fucking certification. But it's hilarious because he's like so good at doing memes. And he yeah, he's so weird incredible. on the TikTok. And I'm sure he'll get good at it. But it's just like, that's a perfect example of like, there's a lot of people diving into TikTok now. And there's going to be people that suck shit at it. Like, just fuck off. Like, now, because, like, your thing is the thing that you're good at. Just, like, stay good at that. Apparently, there's some... It's crazy. Like, even if you think any type of business, right? Like, if you're a good large group boot camp type instructor, like, if that's your jam, you should probably build your business around that. Yeah. If you're really good one-on-one, -on -one, you should probably do that. If you're really good with two to six people or eight, whatever your semi-private model is, you should probably do that. But when it comes to social media, sometimes we don't see that. We try to do it the way other people do it, as opposed to the way that is in line with our skill sets and what we're best at. Yeah, and even because we follow the same sort of people, but there's like lots of guys like Kyle or like David Gray who like literally aren't following the formula that I've seen, and like they're building their own followings, doing like 
honestly just being um, like educators online, which is weird because like that's what you shouldn't do. Like you need to do quick hits and infographics, but it's like things are always there, evolving. There's no one way. Like people say, oh, long form article writing is dead. That's bullshit. But only a few people do it really well. Greg Knuckles crushes is it, and <laughs> Adam Ali, Physiconomics, right? The big nutrition dude is often in the UK. That guy writes the best, funniest, uh, long-form nutrition stuff that is on the internet anywhere in our industry. But again, you better be damn but good I can, at it. I can deadlift more than him, though, for sure. He's not. I don't think he's a very big <laughs> dude. So yeah, you, you can deadlift more than about. He's not leveraging that. Tell you but there's probably right. not many people you can't deadlift more. That's yeah. true. Uh, we probably had like what maybe two guests ever that could probably deadlift more than you. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I still use my like numbers from when I was like twenty six. That's how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. Like just I lift it once and like that's my number forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> I, I guess you know that all too well with your hips. I, I do. I used to remind people of what I could do when I was twenty all the time. <laughs> and then, but you know, you got the not to get up there. You have the other end of it where now you have like the old man hip thing. So like you always have a good excuse, regardless. Always. Regardless, anything like, I, I do is impressive at this point. You know, it's like you're leveraging I, your I touch my toes. That's a that's a and I and I'm joking, but like, yeah, when you when you've had two hips replaced, like being able to train hard, like people are impressed by that. <laughs> you know, but um, there's a Travis Mash. Uh, he was he went on some of the trips that we were hosting on for Strong Extras. Anyways, same shit. He has like two hip replacements, and he's like a world class powerlifter. He gets so jacked up about training, even though he's like such like a, he's not what he was, but like everyone's like, oh man, that's so sick. You, you fucking front squatted, whatever, 500 pounds, which for him is like low or whatever, it was like 400 pounds. But like, because he has a hip replacement or two and he like kind of limps around, it's just like, man, that guy's a beast. You get a new beast mode. There's just, a lot of this in our industry. Uh, Lee Boyce is a good friend and Lee's had both his knees worked on, like you get back to the He's like seven foot tall. Re replaced. Yeah, he's six four, and you can like below parallel squat four hundred pounds again now, and that's pretty legit stuff, right? So, it, it's, well, it's, you, I'm I'm still in the process of healing my body. I mean, like I I've got most of my range back. I mean, I feel way better than I did before. But I think another lesson that's worth sharing is, um, I had to put my hips off, right? I had yeah. to. But the damage that was done by putting it off is something I'm still dealing with. Oh, yeah. If you are somebody who's injured, um, get it taken care of. You know, if you have sleep issues, get it taken care of now. Like the longer you allow that cycle to happen, the harder it's going to be to come back from. Man. And uh, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. I'm the same way. I, when I had uh, – I tore my labrum uh, my last season of football, like the, the just prior, I want to say like four months prior. And I could either get surgery or play through my last season. I'm like, fuck it. I'm like, whatever. I was like 24 years old. I'm like, I'm playing through my last season. I couldn't get my knee above like 90 degrees. And I played through it. And like, it was fucked after. Yeah. Like my labor went from like 25% tear to 50% tear. And I had arthritis. Anyways, long story short is like, I'm still dealing with the aftermath of it because I, I, I basically altered my gait. I played at a very high level and like the pain cycle just, anyways, I guess I guess the like taking care of stuff, like putting stuff off, does have its consequences, which like bleed into social, which bleed into business, which bleed into all this stuff. Like I don't think I've been worse than trying to overcome injury. Like I can't get, I can't focus on anything. And I think there's a big lesson in that too. Is and what I tell people is like I don't think anybody really has a business problem. They yeah. usually have like a physical problem that's affecting their ability to run their business or a relationship problem that's affecting their ability to run their business yeah. or, you know, like a host of issues that really aren't business problems. They're like dealing with your own shit, physical, mental, and emotional. And if you're constantly like proactively taking care of those things, you have a much better chance of running a successful and sustainable business. Let's actually talk about that. Yeah. yeah let's. Yeah. Like we brought you on here because you know shit. Yeah. <laughs> so like you're part of the strength coach business mentorship um yeah. coming up in early april along with our former guest todd is it bumgarner or it's bumgarner yeah i always fuck his name up and then adam willis um who we've been discussing getting on here so you view teaching other fitness professionals as part of your brand yeah. what are what are thoughts on the obligation success I, oh, actually, I, I mucked that one up. Good. <laughs> I want to word this properly, so yeah. like, you ask it because it's it's it's. it's <laughs> what are your thoughts on the obligation successful fitness professionals have 
to help the up and coming generation? Are we obligated to help and mentor? I mean, obviously you do it as part of a business thing as well. Yeah. But Here, here's what I think we need more. I, I think if you have built a business um, and you see how it's benefited you in your life, personally, professionally, right? You are obligated to teach other people how to do the same thing. How many great trainers do you guys know who can barely pay their bills? How many great trainers do you guys know who are overworked, underpaid, and overstressed? So for me, like I think as a strength coach, there are a lot of resources out there teaching people how to squat better, how to design better programs, how to understand those things. What there's not a lot of in our industry, more so in the fitness industry than sport performance, like fitness industry is full of fit biz coaches and, you know, like, but the strength coach world is not. Yeah. And I, this is an industry where, you know, guys are taking $24,000 a year jobs and living like college freshmen in dorms just to do the job. Yeah. And if you can help one of those guys see the potential of entrepreneurship and teach them to run a business, that is paying it forward in an incredible way. You will give that person the ability to control their life and destiny, not just make their passion their vocation, right? And that's so many people, it's like, I just wanna get in, I wanna get in the game, and then they think they're gonna climb the ladder, and then somebody yanks the fucking ladder out from underneath of them and it all crashes and burns and they hate their life by the time they're 40 years old. I would rather give that guy an opportunity to say, look, if you think running a business might be appealing to you, here's the tools, here's the systems, here's what you need to know, here's what you need to be ready for. And if you if you put the same amount of effort into that that you did as becoming a really good and competent strength coach, you can create a lifestyle for yourself that is very fulfilling. And again, that's not may not be everybody's jam. I know a lot of dudes like they love the grind. They love being there at 4 a.m. They love traveling every weekend with the teams. That's just not me. That would have been me at 20, not at 40. You know, so I want to be able to arm those guys with the information that they need to, if they want to build a business, if they want to become an entrepreneur. I want to be able to pay that forward, and I do think that it is our obligation to teach people the game of business, not just how to train and coach. Well, and that's I I, I can. I'm not going to name names, but I just through the realm of where we're involved with, there's a lot of strength coaches and we'll talk about the sports performance realm, but like exercise science people who like get jobs with teams and they, like you said, the ladder gets pulled under them. They were only making $30,000 a year anyways. And then like budgets or whatever the team loses, like they're, they're fucking now a personal trainer and like they're not fucked, but they don't know what to do. And like, they're unreal. Like I know so many unreal people who like aren't good personal trainers in the fit pro world, but that's where they end up because that industry the strength conditioning industry is pretty shitty in yes. terms of the high performance i i, I agree completely not well paid. you said that there's again. nothing more soul sucking than a guy who really loves to work with athletes who now has to work with 70 year olds all day and that's the reality and, and that is a reality and, and i listen i there's been many times in my life where like i did some general fitness and athletes like right now at my gym, we're very athlete heavy, but we do train some adults. So I'm, I'm not saying that there's not value in supplementing your income with general fitness clients, but they should be the type of people you really want to work with, right? Like that, that's number one. But if, you're, if your jam is athletes, you can do that. There's a lot of people out there telling you you can't, that you can't build. There's a guy in Canada who was in my mentorship program. And the, he got so much input and advice from people that he could not build a sport performance business. He believed it. And in a few months working together, he made a lot of contacts. He started getting some clients and he started to realize like, like I probably can do that. Right. And it's like, I want to help sport performance coaches learn how to build a business so they can stay true to what they really love and what they believe in. Well, that's really good. Cause yeah, like I would say, like that's interesting because like I can think of a few, few people who have built businesses training athletes, but I think like the I don't want to say common knowledge, but the perception is yeah like if you're not in a school or you're not on a team, you can't train athletes because it's too hard. They don't have money, and it's good to bring on people like you because then you can kind of show them like you can absolutely do that. But like it's like you said, it's everyone. It's like the majority saying like don't fucking train athletes. Like we've even said it like it's 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 real fucking hard. But it's hard. 
I, you I don't if I'll, you don't want to train if you don't want to change gen pop you're gonna fucking hate your job. I think the prevailing wisdom and I and I think there's some strong truth in this is you know a, a brand newly minted personal trainer whose aspiration is to train high level athletes. You can definitely work towards that, but do not expect that to show up at your commercial gym really quickly. I have a handful of athletes, and I don't even brand myself as an athletic trainer. Uh, I trained a, a a guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, his kid's 15 years old. Turns out the kid is a really high level goaltender, and wants me to train his son, teach him how to can train, train to keep him safe. You know, been working with him for over two years. We're really great friends, and he's now uh, the backup goalie for WHL team with a bright future. But that wasn't because I went and sought out athletes, but I had also learned the skill set to be able to make sure this kid is strong and really durable. But you also like learn how to become a personal trainer and leverage yourself, which like like I, I would say like let's say the people who want to train athletes, they don't even learn that stuff. I don't even know that it's just because it's not interesting to them. Like if you go on an exercise science degree and you like biomechanics and strength training and fucking PRI or whatever, like market <laughs> not a lot of those guys like to market themselves as well. Uh, that's the so I think fitness personal trainers they've kind of accepted that learning marketing and sales is required i think a lot of people in the strength and conditioning world are very resistant to that they have a lot of issues around money and um what it says if they're selling their service to somebody um but those are the very skills that you need to develop i know guys there listen there are guys out there with a whistle a stopwatch and good old youtube on their phone that are dominating dudes that have done internships at big schools, pro teams that really know what they're doing because the guy with the whistle and YouTube and stopwatch is actually willing to tell everybody that he thinks he knows some shit and make a bunch of offers. Even if he doesn't know his certainty and his audacity to put himself out there sells. Mm -hmm. So there is no uh, victory in being the really smart strength coach like oh i'm not going to sell and i'm not going to market it's like well you're you're not going to have a business like that's just reality and there are just so many strength coaches resistant to it even facility owners that i know it's like well and and i i think i picked this quality up in people because i was there at one point in time too i had a lot of issues around market you guys remember ryan lee yeah who Ryan. Ryan Lee. He was like one of the very first fitness marketers, okay? And I said Ryan Leaf. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Ryan Leaf. No, nah, not that guy. Um, but Ryan Lee is a brilliant marketer. I mean, he's a, he's a boss boss. And he started teaching a lot of these online marketing concepts before anybody else. And I remember when I first started seeing his stuff, I was super judgmental. I was like, I'm not buying into any of this. He's just teaching bad trainers how to be good marketers. And if you're really good, people will just show up at your door. Not so true. And guess what? All the dudes that I know that went all in on Ryan Lee's stuff are all very successful and they're also very good coaches. Now, there are certainly some bums that probably took his marketing material and banged some kids up and, and hurt some people, but they were still doing the right thing. I was the one that was wrong sitting over here as a judgmental strength coach, like, huh, I, I just want people to uh, hire me on my coaching pedigree, not my ability to sell and market. You know, that was just, it was ignorant and it was from a place of deficit. Like I was triggered by having to learn those things and I didn't know those things. I could ramble on about periodization all day, but I didn't really know a lot about marketing and sales. And that was a limiting factor for me for a long time. Well, I guess when, what was the big, um, like what you talked about your injury, but like where, where was it where you realized like, yeah, I'm an ignorant idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Probably very early on. No, when I was young, I was, I, had, I probably had the whole Dunn and Kruger thing going for me. You know, I thought I was a lot better than I was. And, um, you know, I, I'll say this. The more I know, the more I've realized what I don't know. Yeah. So I don't think there was ever like this, like one epiphany that happened. and was like, yo, you really don't know shit. Um, I, I, I'll say this, though, too. When CrossFit first came on, everybody in our industry was just banging on CrossFit. And I joined right in. Their programming wasn't right. They're violating these like, things like the said principle and you know, doing high left 
Olympic lifting and I would shit on CrossFit. And then I remember one day I was at a gym looking around and I was watching these really bad personal trainers train people in a less effective way than bad CrossFit. And I just had this epiphany that like, we're, we're so focused on hating on CrossFit, but like a lot of us don't really know what we're doing. Anyway, listen, I was trying to follow legit tutor bumper, like periodization training cycles with kids that were working out at their school. And like, I was doing the same dumb shit. I was creating competing adaptations. I just had more fancy literature to back up what I was doing, but I wouldn't take it into account what they did at school or with their teams or so I would, I would actually credit CrossFit in some weird way of like making me aware that, you know what, you need to question your beliefs a little bit more because not so sure you're as solid on what you believe and what that looks like in application. That makes a ton of sense. You're right. As easy it is to, you know, shit on CrossFit, it's very low hanging fruit. And this is kind of cliche too, but I mean, what name a movement or an entity in the history of uh, exercise outside of probably Arnold <clears throat> that has put more barbells in hands and more feet in gyms than CrossFit. And there are, and you said it exactly, there are a lot, of, and I don't like bagging on bad personal trainers, but there are lots of them. It's the facts. It's silly right to shit on CrossFit because there are a lot of really fucking skilled, competent Olympic lifting coaches, CrossFit coaches out there. And they are masked by the bad ones, but at the same time, we are also trying to fight the perception that our fitness industry and its core are really good, competent people, caring people, <laughs> when we have a bunch of bad. clowns yeah. who give us a bad name, and we got a bunch of people on Instagram who are doing a lot of skeezy crap. So, and I, I'm a firm believer in this, it is really a waste of time to go on and complain and spend most of your energy complaining about the bad people. I think it's a good use of your time to be a better example, so that way, instead of the person who is fooled by the Instagram bullshit or conned by the sleazy personal trainer who isn't very good, that my message is getting through and the people are finding me because I want to do a really great job with that person. So I don't resent the people who are doing all this bullshit. It's on me to take ownership of the end outcome, which is be better. And like you said about sales and marketing, make sure that people know who I am. Yeah, I mean, I think there are <clears throat> tons of lessons that we can pull from our judgments, right? So like whenever we are judging other people, other systems, I think there's a real opportunity for learning there. And that's what I've become sensitive to when I catch myself judging something. It's like, okay, where's my blind spot? What can I learn from this good or bad? And I don't, I think we are a very tribal community. People like to say, I, you know, I drink this Kool-Aid. I like that Kool-Aid and that's the team I'm on. And I think that just leads to more divisiveness in our industry, as opposed to people trying to understand each other's perspectives and models. Yeah, I think like, that's a really good point, learning how to, I don't wanna say question, uh, I just kind of question your own bias, but like, I think at some point, that's why I asked you, what was your aha moment? Cause you can't really get there unless your bubble has been burst. Like unless yeah. something like fucked you up enough to be like, oh, I'm, I'm wrong. Because yeah. I think that unless you're there or like you do, and maybe that's just learning, but until you know that you don't know shit, like, you're at a really bad spot in my opinion to like just be in that box and that's scary to me to be to like think back to where i was at where i was like i learned one system and that's all i'm gonna do forever like that gives me anxiety now yeah after getting my bubble burst i'll give you another good example of like what i've learned in retrospect is probably 15 years ago there was a local physical therapist here who went to my family's church who started talking to me about pri they were the only people doing PRI. She's telling me about it, and I'm just like, oh my God, this is so lame. This is so ridiculous. And she asked if she could come do some test retest stuff with some of my athletes. I was like, man, my mom likes this girl. I kind of feel <laughs> obligated to do this. So, all right, you can come do it. And I don't remember the exact resets and stuff that she did, but I do remember her uh, testing and retesting shoulder IR. And everybody in the room had improvement. And I was still like, this is total bullshit. Total bullshit, right? Fast forward, I don't know how many years, but many years later, <clears throat> where I'm searching out how to like, just get some relief from my hips and back, because my back started getting really bad too, because my hips were so jacked. And it's when Bill Hartman and Mike Robertson started really going down the PRI tunnel. They were the first guys that at least I 
noticed really going down it. And I was like, oh my God, there is something to this stuff. <laughs> I wonder if way back then, if I had started doing it and allowed it to shape my lens on training and position and those type of things, like, would I be as banged up now if I had started to appreciate that approach or lens a little bit more back then? You know, so it's, it's unfortunate that we have to learn in hindsight, but my judgments on that PRI system um, have been completely reversed. And I shouldn't even say PRI system, the principles associated with PRI, yeah. right? So, but now I have a totally different perspective and belief wrapped around that. Unfortunately, I just had to um, figure that out in hindsight. Well, they run into the same problem, like that these strength coaches come in that can't get businesses like, like it's not sexy and it like it sounds like bullshit and it looks like bullshit a lot of times yeah. and so like they're not good at marketing and like you said I, I didn't even like it till I, I stumbled upon people who look like me that were using it but also <laughs> were able to like kind of criticize it as well yeah uh, and it, yeah. until it became cool then it wasn't cool but like the the still underlying issue with it is like if you say you do PRI you're automatically a fucking hack. But it's yeah. like, I don't even do PRI. Like, PRI is like in a clinic and all this stuff. But it's like, there's a principles in there that can shape your lens. I, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's I'll a, tell you what, I'll tell you one of the things. And again, like I knew, I had even felt like some, like the minute I could push air into my back, I was like, whoa, that feels different. Right. But I still, my lens was about how does this affect performance? And I had yet to see that yet until one day I was at IFAST and I was with Coach Ken, Joe Ken. And Bill took him back in the purple room, did some ninja shit on him. He came back out and then pulled a PR in the deadlift. That immediately went, oh, okay, now I see. But still, we have biases towards things, right? Like, I, I cared way more about performance than I really did about health, you know, at that time. So I couldn't see the value in PRI until I saw its impact on performance. Something I think underlies this entire conversation, this entire episode is try not to box yourself in to such rigid thinking, such tribal thinking, so that way you can't allow these ideas as they come across to seep in your brain. You know, Dean's sort of alluding to the, the you're sort of a, a lightning bolt, bolt moment, but I don't know if it really happens to a lot of people. I think it's just over time, there's an evolution of your philosophies, of your approach based on the things you expose yourself to. And I think if you allow yourself that open-mindedness over time, these good principles will creep in and you'll start to absorb and adopt the things that have benefit. It's just when you create this, no, that's bullshit. This very hard set mindset that, Hey, no, I'm not going to do any of this crap. That's when you don't allow it to get into your brain. Well, I was going to say, once you can kind of question your own, mind, once you realize what it is, you're like in the fucking money. So like for you, it was like seeing someone deadlift. You're like, oh yeah, I ain't bullshit. But like now you know, like your lens is like, if I see a strong dude doing something that's like helps my system, then I'll use it. Now you're free. Now you know that like all the things you're making judgments on were probably through a, a bad lens. So now you can be more open-minded. Like the same thing with me. Unless I saw like the application to like, oh, I get it now. Like, oh, if I'm not in pain, I can fucking lift more weight. Big aha moment. Even though that seems really simple until you're there, you just think like no like fuck fuck you motherfucker you're, like you don't know anything you're not strong but sometimes like, you need to experience a shift or witness a shift that aligns with your beliefs and then in you're order good. to accept right yeah. and then that's that's what i've seen in many areas which is like i don't know how to like simplify that for people and that, again i think everyone has to come on on their own but i think like this comes back to what you're saying with my question earlier is that if you can start to model these things in a way that resonates with someone else you're going to be whatever that version of it is for them. So for me, it's like trying to be strong and do this stuff. Some strong dude that's in pain will help me, but I ain't going to help fucking Sally at the grocery store. She didn't, you know what I mean? Like she doesn't want to see me lifting without my shirt on. And but I can help the one like, lots of people that I can. She might. Depends on how good you look with your shirt off. Yeah. Like I'm not there yet. Like I ain't done. I'm on my way back. I'm on my way back. <laughs> so let's actually ask you this before we have to wrap up. Um, you talked a lot about like work and, and being overwhelmed in the early stages of your career and develop your business. So one thing you'll notice, anyone who follows you or has you on Facebook, your family features prominently in the stuff you do post, right? So how do you set boundaries for your family time and the things that you do outside of your career? What's yeah. important to you? 
So one, I believe in that concept of like first things first and then putting them in your schedule that way. So when I think a lot of people are very reactive to the job and then they try to fit family and the things that are important to them into their schedule as opposed to starting there. So I've got non-negotiables when it comes to my child. And uh, this started when I got custody. My oldest daughter is 23 years old and I got custody of her when she was about 13, maybe, maybe 14. And I was leaving in the house in the morning. I'd come here at like 4.30. I'd train people in the morning. Uh, when she woke up about 6.30, um, I'd be at the house by 6.45. I'd cook her breakfast. I'd throw her in the car. I'd drive to school. But nine times out of 10, that drive to school, I was so mentally fried and just like, and, and I had to get back to the gym. Like it was just a kind of a miserable, it was tough, man. Like were, we had good mornings, but we had bad mornings, right? So I realized when, Kagan came into my life, my, my five-year-old daughter and my wife was like, I will never repeat that mistake again. Now, luckily, I had done the work on the front end to remove myself from 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. appointments. I didn't have to be to the gym till 8. So I had now this time in the morning. It was like, I'm not, you couldn't pay me any amount of money to come train you at 5 or 6 in the morning anymore because that's the time I'm up with my daughter and my wife. I cook my daughter breakfast. I drive her to school. And then I come to the gym like it's it's the it's the most important thing. You can't pay me to do anything from three to four p.m. That's my time to go pick my daughter up and bring her back here to the gym with me. You can't pay me to work on Sundays. You can't get me to do because that's family time for me. So setting your schedule up where you actually put first things first is huge. And then from my perspective of breaking my body and how important. Uh, it is to be at my best from a health standpoint. The very next thing I do every day is I train. And there are a lot of people in the entrepreneurial space, and I, and I don't think they're wrong. I just think we have different perspectives. They'll say, first thing, you need to do your work. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. If your body's healthy, if your relationships are healthy, then it makes a lot of sense to me to just wake up and do your work because that's when like, you know, cognition and focus is probably at its best. But in for me and in my experience, my family has to be first, my body has to be second, and then it's my business. And that's how I plan my schedule. I love that. That's good. It's, everybody has their own way of setting boundaries. And I don't know if we've ever really talked to anybody who's explicitly said they've done that. And that makes a ton of sense. It's, uh, this is a popular book that I'm not a huge fan of, but it's like Profit First. Um, and it's like a business type book, but the same principles apply to your life, right? You know, let me change your mind on profit first really quick. <laughs> sure. It was so Mark Fisher. This is one of the other things I stole from Mark Fisher. Probably back five years ago, I went to his business for unicorns deal in Chicago and he started talking about profit first. And I had heard about it before, but I was like, eh, sounds like Dave Ramsey's envelope system, but with bank accounts. So I was like, eh, whatever. I pulled him aside and was like, like, how important do you think this is? And he said, well, just let me tell you. We hired a full-time Profit First professional. We invested in the training, and it's been one of the most important things that we've ever done for our business. I said, enough said. I come home, I buy the book, I devour the book, and then I'm like, whoa, I got no idea how to do this. <laughs> so I shelved it again. Then through, I'm not a, like, I'm a, I'm a hustler turned business owner, man. Like that's, I was just a hustler when I was a kid and started a business. Nobody taught me how to read P&Ls and, uh, bank. I didn't know what to look at on these things. So they were always very confusing to me and didn't make sense. Well, profit first made it very simple. It made me really understand where all my money was. So I was like, man, I got to figure this out. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. So I hired a profit first professional. Now it is very, I shouldn't say that because it's subjective. It's expensive in most people's mind. It is one of the easiest investments for me to make every single month. Working with Aaron, who's my profit first professional. I mean, just last year alone, we, we increased profit 10% and expenses went down 8%. Those are real hard numbers. And that has a lot to do with the profit first system and finally figuring out our allocations. It takes a long time to, to figure it out. Um, and that's why I don't think most business owners should do it on their own. And the other thing that I realized, I fired my longtime CPA because he disagreed with it. He, like most CPAs, they believe in GAP and ACBO, I believe is 
uh, the other one. And uh, I bought him the book. I tried to get him to do the research and he just wouldn't. But now the guy that just wrote the book, Profit, by the way, I'm giving this book away free to all people that attend my event. Um, I, the guy that wrote the book, Profit First for Micro Gyms, is actually my CPA. or He owns the CPA uh, company that I work with now that's in Utah that specializes in Profit First. So I say all that to say this. If you're going to do Profit First, don't try to do it on your own and go all the way in. Get you a CPA that gets it. Hire you a Profit First professional. Buy the book by all means. You know, start slow if you want, but to really dial in your allocations, you're going to be better off working with a pro. What are, what are the odds of you bringing up that book? That, that's right. <laughs> so what I'll actually qualify is, um, no, I actually think the proper first idea is very sound. I find the author, because uh, I listen to the audio version, insufferable. I can't <laughs> stand him. He's just really goofy and annoying. There's some great yep. ideas there. I read one of his other books based on a recommendation. I'm like, fuck, this guy's annoying. But yeah. you know, not everybody's going to resonate with you. But I, I do agree with you that I know there's some really solid stuff on the business side of it. Just like, I can't hear, I can't do deal with the dude's voice. <laughs> so, I hear you. I hear you. It is what it is. He probably knows the author. <laughs> no, I don't. But like I said, John Billings is the guy that wrote Profit First for Micro Gyms. Yeah. That's who I. That's our CPA uh -huh. firm. That's who we use. They're out in Utah. They're great. I have no problem shouting them out. Um, my CPA's name is Nate. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anybody wants to holler at Nate, holler at Nate. He's a boss. And I, I refer a lot of guys in uh, my network to that. And that we're going to be talking about, this is the thing that used to kill me. And if I'm off topic, y'all can reel me in whenever you want. But this is the thing that used to kill me when I would go to like uh, business seminars and events. People would talk about develop systems, develop systems, develop systems. And they would tell you things like checklist things and record everything you do in a day and just bullet point it out. But what they don't teach you is how to make all those systems communicate with each other to create a healthy organization. So there's two things that I've pushed all the way in that I think has allowed us to be a very healthy organization. One is Traction, the book written by Gino Wickman. I do not think that if you just read Traction, just like if you read Profit First, you're going to be able to put this stuff into play. So we hired a coach as well that was associated with traction, and we did the same thing with Profit First. Investing in those two things, I credit for a lot of our success. And I have no problem. Like I think a lot of people are invested in making you think they, they like invented some shit or created some shit. Uh, in my experience, that's just not ever what happens. But people will hold these things very close to their chest. They don't want to tell other people, like, hey, these are the resources. When people come to my event, I'm going to tell them exactly like where the information came from, how we were able to apply it, and where they can go get more of it. I don't want you hamstrung to me for that information. I can provide a lot of context uh, from an application standpoint, but by all means, like I want to arm people with the information to control their own lives and control their own business. And traction and profit first are, are two of the biggest things that have helped us. And I, I think, and I don't want to talk about any other businesses, but I think you'd be surprised how many other successful businesses in our industry lean on one or both of those. Cool. So you've mentioned the the mentor, the uh, strength coach business mentorship a few times. Yeah. So let's let everybody know where they can find out more information about that and find your social media. So I'm pretty sure we got the URL set up right now to where it's strengthcoachbusinessmentorship.com. Uh, they should be able to go to that. Uh, if they would like to find me, I'm trying to hang out on the uh, Instagram a little bit more these days. So it's uh, Andy McCloy underscore BCI. And the link to the uh, event page is also in my bio there. It's going to be a great event. You know, last year we did this with my entire staff and team. Um, this year I decided to call in some friends. So I got JL Holdsworth coming in uh, to talk about culture. Tom Bumgarner about all things staff training. Uh, Drew Massey to talk about developing a scalable training system, which is a forgotten element for, for a lot of people. Um, I got Michael Salvietti, who's my marketing guy, to talk about ninja marketing stuff. And I got Adam Willis, who's been in my mentorship now for three years, coming in to talk about social media uh, and email marketing. So this is going to be a one-stop shop for anybody that wants to learn how to build a business from the ground up uh, and all the ancillary systems they need to put in place. It's going to be two days of... Uh, you know, getting fed through a fire hose and uh, the day before we're going to hang out and go to a local brewery and, you know, just get to know each other and kind of do that, um, you know, event networking that I think is so valuable and important. So that sounds fantastic. Uh, I wish I didn't have a full slate, the schedule, uh, or if you were a little closer, I could just pop down. But uh, hopefully anyone, especially who's in that neck, your neck of the woods, but 
even anyone who's really interested in this stuff, it'd be worth traveling for. And we had a guy drive down from um, Ontario last year, drive with his <laughs> wife from Ontario. Holy shit. Uh, we had a guy from Toronto at the last one uh, and, and a guy from Calgary at the last one. So we, we've got a couple of Canadians in my mentorship program and uh, who traveled here to, to visit as well. So. Who's it from Calgary? Because, I mean, that's on our doorstep. Uh, a guy named Reggie Zach. I'm going to butcher Reggie's name. He's going to hate me for this. Hold on. Hold on. Let me check the Instagram so I don't like really embarrass myself. I I, I'm going to say Zacharias, but I know that's wrong. So, uh, Reggie, forgive me. It's, well, I'll tell you this. It's Zach, Reggie Zacharias. Sorry, Reggie. <laughs> Zach Training Systems. Cool. Well, Reggie's All a good right. dude. and Not a good I, but... I used to train uh, Juwan Simpson, who is middle linebacker for the Calgary Stampede for 10 years, won two great cups with him, and he's on my board up here, and local guy. And so I've actually made it uh, to Calgary. That is the only place in Canada that I have actually visited so far. So. Well, it's it's super close to us because it's what, two and a half? Calgary is a good two place. and a half hours drive away. So yeah, okay. good place. Good spot. Cool. Hey, brother, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. And uh, stay on the line for a sec after we're done. Uh, to everybody listening, if it's one of the, it's, if it's the first time you're finding us, and you listen to Andy, then a lot of our community, people like Luca Hosovar, we've had Luca on the podcast, we've had Justin Kavanaugh, we've had Todd Bumgarner, we've had Clifton Harsky, and, and a bunch of other really great people. Check that stuff out. If you like it, stick around, subscribe. And if you're someone who is a longtime listener, well, I, I pride myself on bringing friends like Andy on here so you guys can find out more about them. Because when you're following, and fuck, I love Jordan Side, love Brett Contreras, love the people who've got the big brand names, but you can probably get just as much, if not more, sometimes from someone who has been really successful. They just didn't give a shit to build a giant Instagram following. So go check out Andy's work, please. And I promise I'm going to build a bigger Instagram following one day. It's just yeah. going to be slow. <laughs> shut, up shut up and sit down. Shut up and sit down. down.